0: We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Welcome to another episode of Medicalization, a podcast miniseries that dives into some of the most peculiar and fascinating stories of the history of medicine. Some figures made it their mission to etch their names into history. Others found themselves thrust into it. Either way, their contributions have made medicine what it is today. I'm your host, Wafik Setholm.
1: And I'm your host, Jessica Setholm. In today's episode, we discuss the little-known advent of anesthesia and how one man's elixir changed it all. This is the story of Seishu Hanaoka.
0: Episode 8 Mafutsutsan The Palliation of Pain Finally, my beautiful concoction is nearly ready. How proud To would be. Eight parts, Mandarage. Two parts, So Uzu. Byakushi, Toki, one part tenensho, and one sensu bean. Now, just the water. Let it boil over. Ha! I can't believe it. My surgeries will be the greatest in all of Japan. The mafutsu is ready.
1: Seishu Hanaoga, born in 1760 in Hirayama, Japan, is one of the most influential surgeons in history. Hailing from a long line of physicians, the stage was set for little Seishu to carry on the family heirloom. His father had a medical practice of his own in the village, and took Seishu under his wing until he reached the age of 22. It was then he decided to get formal schooling in medical surgery in Kyoto, Japan. He learned traditional Chinese medicine and surgery for one year in Kyoto, and then traveled around Japan for an additional three years shadowing a variety of clinics, and learning from his elders. Back then, practical skill and information had to be obtained the old-fashioned way. It was only after the passing of his father in 1785 did our doctor begin his own career in his hometown. He was a highly skilled surgeon, interested in treating wounds, ulcers, trauma, and even cancer. I mean, keep in mind, this was the 1700s. He was renowned in particular for his treatment of breast cancer.
0: Seishu Henaoka had a passion for chemistry since he was a young boy, and his travels only fueled his interest. He could often be seen tinkering with herbs to create novel medicines. And while later studying Chinese herbal medicine, he came across the works of a prolific surgeon in China named Hua To. Henaoka was inspired by his use of remedies to lull a patient into a slumber before operating. Seishu Hanaoka knew that this could change the field of surgery forever. He set his sights on creating an anesthetic similar to Hua To's based on blueprints he received during his time in Kyoto. Although historical accounts differ, he likely obtained the initial formulations either from his predecessors in Kyoto or from the researchers Senzo Hanai and Harunobu Onoshi. In any case, the two primary ingredients were mandrage and so-uzu, traditional Chinese herbs with sedative properties. These chemicals were known to be dangerous, so careful study of their effects was vital. If successful, Seishu Hanaoka would be the first person in the world to successfully anesthetize a patient during surgery. He would be the first to give the gift of a painless procedure.
1: truly understand why seishu hanaoka wanted to change the medical approach to surgery we wanted to take another historical detour to discuss how surgery was performed in the pre-anesthesia days they were truly torturous observations in the human's ability to withstand pain imagine being a patient in this scenario with a team holding your limbs down you're subjected to piercing knives rigid saws and pointing screws that caused immeasurable agony with every movement of the surgeon's hand. Everything from small incisions to whole limb amputations were done like this with little to no pain relief. Back in those days, good surgeons knew that the most effective surgery was a quick one. If you didn't move quickly enough, the patient became rigid and writhed, that even cutting through muscle was difficult because of the sheer tension. And if you happened to live through all that torture... The post-operative course was often worse, complicated by blood loss and infection. Most of these patients died shortly thereafter. Lying on an operating table was a last-ditch effort, basically a Hail Mary, since you were probably on your way out anyway. Surgeons often called their patients victims. Everyone knew the implications.
0: This was no more true than for a man by the name of Stephen Pollard, who was halfway across the world in London about the same time that Seishu Hanaoka was cooking up herbs in his lab. Stephen Pollard required the removal of a kidney stone, and the task was given to a surgeon named Bransby Cooper. Cooper was placed in his prestigious position more on the basis of nepotism than actual proficiency. After cutting through the patient's perineum, that's that area between the scrotum and the anus, he began inserting his finger, looking for the obstruction. He complained that the patient's perineum was, quote, too deep, and compared fingers with others around him to see who would be best suited to the job. Pollard wanted so badly the procedure to end that he exclaimed,
1: pray let it keep in.
0: The grueling ordeal was so terrifying that many of the 200 spectators could not handle watching any more and ran out.
1: Keep in mind, this was the days of surgical theater, where not only were you undergoing no anesthesia with all this pain, but everyone was watching it happen.
0: What a crazy time. The inept Cooper ended up taking nearly fifty five minutes to find a stone no bigger than a black bean. Cooper died the next day with a large hole in his body and five fatherless children at home.
1: It's easy to assume that the surgeons were the apathetic instruments of pain but the words of an anonymous surgeon recalling those darker days could prove otherwise.
0: Of the agony that my surgery occasioned, I will say nothing. Suffering so great as I underwent cannot be expressed in words, and thus, fortunately, cannot be recalled. The particular pangs are now forgotten, But the blank whirlwind of emotion, the horror of great darkness, and the sense of desertion by God and man, bordering close upon despair, which swept through my mind and overwhelmed my heart, I can never forget, however gladly I would do so.
1: Many civilizations throughout time experimented with herbs that provided localized pain relief, but no one had created a drug that could completely anesthetize a patient while the procedure commenced. That seemed like a far-off fantasy.
0: With the framework for concoction set, he named his sedative Mafutsutsan. Shortly thereafter, Seishu Henaoka set to experiment on his subjects those poor dogs in his village. He would observe their response to the potion, noting their behavior as the medicine kicked in, the time it took for them to fall asleep, the length of anesthesia, as well as the side effects. There were undoubtedly some casualties as he pushed the limits of his elixir, until he got it just right. Hanaoka knew that when he perfected it on a canine, he would need to see its effects on humans. His first two subjects, at their request, were his mother and his wife. Disaster struck as an experimental dose given to his wife led to her blindness. And not just temporarily, she actually lived her whole life blind. Finally, after years of toiling, this time with a little bit more caution, Seishu Henaoka finally had a working anesthetic by 1796.
1: With the medicine ready and the surgical skills at hand, Seishu Hanaoka now just needed a willing patient. Many came to him looking for an answer for their ailments, but when he proposed a radical surgical solution, he was met with the same response every time, fear and subsequent refusal. That was until October of 1804 a six-year-old woman by the name of Kan Aya entered his practice. She suffered from a large left breast lump, cancer, and she was willing to let Seishu Hanaoka operate on her. And on October 13, he began his work. After drinking Mafutsutsun, she slipped into a sedated state within two hours, and he, without any shrieks, flailing limbs, chaos, nothing, removed the tumor from her breast safely. When she woke, she saw her breast with a clean, sutured wound and a significant reduction in size. What she did not know was the history she had just made. She was the first recorded patient to undergo a surgical procedure under general anesthesia. The world of medicine would forever be changed by this development. The possibility of longer, painless, and more audacious surgeries was now within
0: reach. In many anesthesia textbooks, there is no mention of Seishu Hanaoka or of his revolutionary achievement.
1: I mean, what is that?
0: Well, Japan was under the dominion of the Tokugawa shogunate, which enacted a strict isolationist policy within the country. In fact, the Portuguese, the Spanish, English, and the Dutch were rarely allowed to trade and mingle with Japanese society. The Dutch were one of the few to penetrate medical society in Japan. Their quote unquote Western surgery was studied by many, including Hanaoka himself. As a result of these strict policies, in addition to Hanaoka's own resistance to sharing his successes, his feat remained uncelebrated. In 1842, in the United States, Crawford W. Long became the first person to use an inhaled anesthetic, diethyl ether, to perform a surgical procedure. It is Dr. Long's name that graces the textbooks as anesthesia's pioneer, forever shadowing Henaoka's greatest legacy. I think it's that time, Jesse. Uh-oh. It's time to learn the science behind some of our favorite stories.
1: Off to the Synaptic Center. So pain is the worst, right? You fall down, you get a paper cut on your hand. It's just an uncomfortable sensation. So why does your body even need pain to begin with? Well, we need it to survive. There's an evolutionary mechanism at play. So imagine if you didn't have any pain, if you touched a burning stove and you never let go. Pretty brutal, right? Things could get pretty bad. Or if you broke your leg and you didn't feel any pain, you would just continue walking on it and it would never heal properly. So we need this response to protect ourselves. And this hypothetical of not having any pain sensation is true for some people. And those people are diagnosed with congenital insensitivity to pain, which is a rare genetic condition that eliminates the sensation of pain entirely, which sounds nice in theory, but in practice, a lot of these people die in childhood because of injury or illness or infection that just goes unnoticed. And so when we talk about pain and its discomfort, it makes sense that our Japanese surgeon would want to remedy this because too much pain is just uncomfortable and it's just not pragmatic for working physicians.
0: Indeed. Seishu Hanaoka, our Japanese doctor, understood this well when he decided to create his anesthetic. Mm -hmm. And while he didn't know the mechanisms of action in Mafutsutsan, we in this modern age do. The two main ingredients were mandarin and so uzu. Mandridge was a well-known wildflower that had documented properties of analgesia and lethality when taken in excess. The active ingredients of mandridge include scopolamine, atropine, and hyoscyamine. These compounds all work in the same way. They antagonize, or block, muscarinic acetylcholine receptors. These drugs they're well known to cause confusion, sedation, flushing, as well as drying of secretions like your eyes and your mouth. They also cause constipation, elevated heart rate, and lower blood pressure. The chemical's propensity for hallucinogenic effects and sedation accounted for much of the drug's use in its primitive years. The other main ingredient, uzu comes from a different plant, the aconitum japonicum plant, and contains jessiconitine and mesaconitine. Those are a little more complicated and less well understood, so we'll skip that for now. But
1: basically, either way, these drugs work by opening up sodium channels in cells, which prevents the normal electrical activity of the heart, and that can lead to potentially fatal arrhythmias.
0: This is why people sometimes overdose if they took mm-hmm. too much.
1: And that's why some of the dogs died when Seishu Hanaoka gave them too much of the anesthetic. These drugs also permeate the blood-brain barrier, and that's key because it allows for the neural effects that help to anesthetize a patient, a patient's consciousness. The difference between a lethal poison and a highly effective medication comes down to dosage. So combining mandarage and uzu. Together required superb skill as well as trial and error, but you had to get that ratio right. That was the key. I mean, we've come a long way since then. Nowadays, think about how casual pain management is. We take Advil every time we have a headache. If we have a toothache, we take Tylenol or acetaminophen. It's all over the counter. It's all very accessible and easy. But as we said earlier, pain still has a purpose. It's a mediated nervous system response. We have dedicated nerves called nociceptors that signal our brain when it, that there's some insult on us whenever they're stimulated, and that in turn signals, signals more molecular reactions, which signals more pain. So you have this kind of propagated response so that the pain increases and you end up dealing with it which is what your body wants
0: some of the chemicals that are released by the nociceptors have turned out to be some of our most effective targets for medications that treat pain
1: which makes sense
0: for sure one of those molecules is arachidonic acid now i know you guys aren't into long pathways but i'll make it simply i'll make it more simple for you Arachidonic acid goes through a series of chemical reactions to create specific pain molecules. Some of them include leukotrienes, prostaglandins, a lot of complicated complicated stuff. Now, to make those final products, arachidonic acid needs the help of a couple of enzymes. Enzymes are catalysts that basically make a chemical reaction go faster. Those two chemical enzymes that are most important are called COX-1 and COX-2. If we blocked the COX-1 or COX-2 enzymes, or maybe even both at the same time, we could mediate some of those pain receptors because we're blocking the pathway that results in those pain molecules being formed. And that's exactly what we do with two separate classes of medications. The first are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, commonly known as NSAIDs. You probably have some of these in your medicine cabinet right now. These include ibuprofen, aspirin, and naproxen. These molecules work by either binding to COX-1 or COX-2. In the case of aspirin, it binds to both irreversibly. The other major class within this kind of uh, prostaglandin-blocking pathway is acetaminophen, commonly known as Tylenol. Now, this drug acts by working on COX-2, and it doesn't affect inflammation like the other NSAIDs did. This one... Mostly it affects pain and fever. Now, these drugs work really well, as you guys have probably seen yourselves, in mild forms of pain. You maybe have a small fever or you cut yourself. That's when it works the best. Or maybe you have a headache. But if you need a more of a big gun medication, you the good stuff. yeah, that's where the opioids will come in.
1: And opioids are really, really good at reducing pain, like the best. They often have been used for patients after surgery or people with chronic pain, even though new research obviously indicates that this is not the best strategy. Drugs in this class are oxycodone or morphine, fentanyl, heroin.
0: What makes these drugs so effective is that they bind to opioid receptors in your body. Opioid receptors basically have a direct line to the brain to tell you that you're in pain. So when you take an opioid to relieve your pain, you're really not eliminating your pain, right? You're just masking it.
1: Absolutely. And right now, this is more relevant than ever. You know, you turn on the news and the opioid crisis in America is everywhere. And for good reason. You know, in the past 20 years, doctors were sort of coaxed by pharmaceutical companies into thinking that opioids could treat people's pain with minimal side effects. And now we know that that's just not true. At its worst, opioids can lead to respiratory dep- respiratory depression and eventually result in death. And that's how you get so many people dying of overdoses. And it also has highly addictive properties. And so you need to be very careful as a physician and as a consumer about the amount that you about how you regulate so you need to be really careful as both a physician and a consumer on how you regulate this um this very potentially dangerous but also potentially very helpful um, class of drug medications so we need to be judicious in prescribing by healthcare professionals and new government regulations are currently being enacted to prevent thousands of unnecessary deaths that occur yearly and so there is progress that's being made.
0: Can Aya, the world's first anesthetized patient, died on February 26, 1805. Her name would be one of nearly 150 patients of Henaoka's who had some type of breast mass on which he operated. News of his success in painless operations swept through Japan and he quickly grew a following. Many aspiring surgeons flocked to learn from Henaoka and discover the secret of san. As was Japanese tradition, his pupils were forbidden from sharing the recipe or details of his technique with anyone, including family. He constructed his version of a medical school to teach his growing population of apprentices and named it Shun Rin Ken. With water sanitation, a lecture hall, an operating room, consultation room, and a pharmacy, it was a spectacle of order and efficiency Seldom seen in that time. Although those walls have since collapsed, the foundation of medicine Seishu Hanaoka built has become a staple of medical practice.
1: With the birth of anesthesia came a responsibility for a new generation of physicians whose sole job was to identify, manage, and combat suffering. Anesthesiologists treat pain in operating rooms, emergency rooms, and primary care clinics every day. They tackle everything from one-hour procedures to decades-long management of chronic pain. With an expanded arsenal of medications and a fervor to combat suffering, our communities are indebted to those, both past and present, that are dedicated to controlling that all-too uncomfortable feeling we know as pain. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Medicalization. Please make sure to follow us on iTunes and or SoundCloud and give us a review. You don't have to give us a review. But sharing with your friends and writing a review are the best ways to help us out. We'll see you next time for another look into the Medical History Vault with Jess
0: and Wafiq.
1: Until then, toodaloo.
0: News of his success in painless procedure. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird that you do that. No, that's because we're not under pressure.
1: Yeah, well this is no pressure. Because it's just uh un- <laughs> <hand. laughs> <Just go. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> No you didn't. You never said they were at <gasps> that.
0: <laughs>
1: That's why I brought it
0: up. Now back to our show.